All right. Well, as Sheila mentioned with the children, it is July 4th. It is Independence Day. And I was ready to celebrate so much, I took off the coat and tie. Yep. Steve gave me a big old amen that came in this morning. I figured I'd just don the red, white, and blue, right? Just let it rip red, white, and blue all the day, right? Look how many people dressed with red, white, and blue. Some did. John? You're an all-American shirt for an all-American guy. How's that, John? All right. Hey, it is the 4th of July. Independence Day is something that is actually very important in our nation's history. I mean, it's amazing to think about that 245 years ago today, our founding fathers signed the Constitution officially, if you will, breaking at least the authority. I had in my notes here the word enslavement. Maybe enslavement is not the right word to use that we had to England, but at least it broke the authority that we had to the British Parliament and to the government. So it's the day then, if you think about this, it is the day in which we were set free. Right? It's the day in which we were set free. But the question for us to think about this morning as we open our Bibles to John chapter 8 is, are we really free? I mean, is that constitution, is this day truly guaranteeing, is it truly the day where we are free indeed? Now, we might say because we are Americans, because we have such freedom, and because we enjoy this, we might quickly say, yes, we are totally free. But maybe before we answer the question, are we really free, we need to consider the text we're going to examine today in John chapter 8, because it gives us some words of wisdom, or at least an application, because Jesus is going to speak about freedom. Yeah, it's amazing. Some people don't know that Jesus says anything about freedom. But today we see he certainly voices how we can be. If we are not in our country, not in our way, set truly free, then today he tells us how we can be truly free. Regardless, if you will, if you're living in America or not, we can be truly free. And Jesus gives us the way in which we can. Is in John chapter 8. Stand with me if you're able to, as we do so, to honor the reading of the word. John chapter 8, we're going to leap down to verse 31, and this section goes through verse 38, so we'll read together through verse 38. So it tells us in John's gospel, in the 8th chapter, verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? But Jesus answered them in verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. 
I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day and this country, Lord, that we live in. We're the best country in the world, and we're just blessed, Lord, to be living in a part of it. Lord, to turn our attention today to freedom and to your word, we pray, Lord, it would give us what we need to know today in relation to our freedom. We know, Lord, there are servicemen and women throughout this world fighting for the freedom that we enjoy each and every day, and we do pray for them today that you keep your hand up on them. But, Lord, we pray this text today that we read from John reveal to us how we can be truly set free, regardless of where we may go and where we may live especially our Christian brothers and sisters throughout this world who may not have the same freedoms as we have of how they too are set free and truly free indeed. So Lord, we invite your spirit to lead and guide and direct us today in this time of message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as you're being seated observing the text, there are two really powerful verses that refers to being free. You may see that in verse 32 and again in verse 36. So then observe then what makes one free according to the text that Jesus speaks to his disciples. It tells verse 32, what makes one free is first and foremost the truth. And then in verse 36, what makes one free is the son. Both of those then begging for further explanation and application, which we're going to do so in a little bit. But first, we return to the text and look at the way in which the reaction is of the audience in which Jesus is speaking. And notice, if you will, with me then in the text that we've read. Rather interestingly, in the text, Jesus speaks to his disciples. He's speaking not only to the disciples, but to also those Jews who believed in him. So notice how he's speaking to a believing audience. He's speaking to those disciples of his and to people, the Jewish people in the temple, who believed in him. But they seem to miss the point. Because as Jesus is speaking about freedom, they tell him, as you recognize in the text, particularly verse 33, they say, we're already free. We've never been in bondage. We've never been slaves to anyone. We are the offspring of Abraham. And we are free men, we are free women. That's the reaction they give him as he starts talking about how they can be free. Now, let me take a quick time out here. Because I think then, as we live in the best country of the world, a lot of people in our country, in our time, in our culture, in our society, is maybe guilty of the same infraction. I think in our country, we are guilty. As we read a text like this, we could be guilty if Jesus was speaking to you now, saying how he could be set free. I think some of us could very well be guilty of saying, dude, we're already free. We're living in the country that guarantees our freedom. We are free. In fact, I've had people to go so far to say, I am completely and totally free. Kurt, you're off your rocker. To suggest that I'm not free is ridiculous. I'm completely and totally free because I can do whatever and whenever I want to do it. I am an American. The Constitution guarantees me this freedom. I can go, come and go as I want to. 
And then I've had to tell them to tell me this. I'm free, they would tell me. But they would go further to say, it's you. If anybody's not free, it is you. It's people like you, Christians, these Jesus freaks. You got some law that's abiding you. You're not free. I'm free. It makes me ponder. Has it ever happened to you before? Has anybody ever told you that they are free? But you, as a Christian, well, you're not free. There's a constant thought process, unfortunately, that sometimes we have in modern day. People thinking that we're some sort of law that God forbids us to have a good time. That we are not really free. I've actually had someone to tell me before. They said, Kurt, you used to be fun before you met Jesus and fell under his law and got saved. But honestly, it's like the people here, they've got it all wrong. Because all of us are enslaved to sin. What they fail to see is that every one of us really are enslaved to sin in our life. The believer and the non-believer both are in bondage to our sin. And that's the very truth that Jesus is trying to convey to this audience in which he's speaking to. Verse 34, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Now notice that your translation may or may not say slave to sin because today saying a slave to anything is not politically correct. The ESV says slave to sin. Some other translations may not say slave to sin. They may say a servant to sin. But it's splitting hairs. Because the same thing, regardless of which word you want to use, it conveys the fact that we're in bondage to the sin in our life. So the correct word really then maybe is to use slave to the sin in your life because that sin is controlling you. It's controlling you. Your actions, behavior, thoughts, patterns in life. It's, we're enslaved. It's controlling us. So the right word is to say that, in a sense, political correct or not, that we are slaves to our sin. Jesus gets it right. But we stop here for a moment then because we need to be perfectly honest with ourselves. We think about this and we begin to digest this. The question really then is how many of us today, as we gather here, freedom from our country, how many of us really think that we are enslaved to the sin in our life? How many people truly think that your sin is ruling your actions and your behavior, your thoughts? I mean, how many people really think that we are subject to that? How many people think that we can control that rather than it controlling us? If you're like me, we don't like to think about the fact that sin controls the things we do. That we can be a slave to sin. I don't want anybody here who's going to quickly raise my hand and say, yeah, I'm a slave to the sin of my life. But we shouldn't. It's controlling us and our behavior. And we have to admit that we don't like it. So but here's the thing then. So while many of us don't quickly raise our hand and admit that we are slaves to our sin, we need to recognize 
that were no different then than the audience in which Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking in the temple. He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to Jewish people who believe in him. As it tells us, verse 31, we're no different than them. Why are we no different than them? Because we are all, every one of us, we are all enslaved to sin in our lives. No matter the age, young or old, as she was told to children, we're all enslaved to sin in our lives. John Piper states that the sin enslaves us in two ways. He says, first, sin enslaves us by compelling desires, making anything look more desirable than Jesus. That's what sin is, desiring something above Jesus and then acting upon it. Is the second way sin enslaves us is that it eventually damns us. Unless something intervenes, that sin leads us to hell. So Piper's comment actually is making a good point. Because sin does enslave us to having compelling desires to put them over Jesus. And sin enslaves us in that what separates us from God, leading us to eternal separation from him unless somehow something will set us free. So we are enslaved completely to sin unless something intervenes and sets us free. What can set us free? That's the question we're examining this morning. How can we truly free? That's the question. And so remember, the text tells us two powerful verses in which we can be truly free. It's verse 32 that says we are free by the truth. And verse 36, which says we are free by the Son. Verse 32, we observe the freedom we have by the truth. Verse 36, we observe the freedom we have by the Son. It's worth repeating once more. But then that leads into a couple application points. And the first one then is this, that we can know that we are free and we should pursue the truth and the truth will set us free. Pursue the truth to be truly set free. Now notice two things here we have to expand upon rather quickly. First of all, what is truth? If the truth can set us free, what is truth? And the second thing is, what's it mean by truly set free? The first and what is truth? That's the question of the day, particularly in the time that we're living. Because many people ask today, as they have before, what is truth? We all want to know what is truth. So if you look up a secular definition of truth, here's what you find in regards to the wording and the definition of truth. First, it says that which is in accordance with fact or reality. A second definition of what is truth is a fact or belief that is accepted as true. That's the definition of truth. But if you're like me, that doesn't really help me at all especially in the day in which we're living that is described as postmodern. Now, if you've never heard the word postmodern before, don't fret, don't worry, because we're living in a time that is postmodern. The postmodernism basically is a movement that seems to exist in this day, a movement away, a departure from absolute truth. 
In essence, a postmodernist would say there is no such thing as absolute truth. Truth is subjective. Truth is relative, which means that truth can be different for everyone. So they would say what I might convey and believe as truth would be different from what Roger or John or Dan would think about what is truth. And we're all okay with that because there is no absolute truth. Truth can be different for everyone. That's postmodern society thinking, that there is no such thing as absolute truth. What you want to believe, you can believe. What I want to believe is okay. That's subjective, relative truth. But I think it's a bunch of malarkey. I mean, something has to be true. There must be absolute truth. And we know the absolute truth is the word of God. Billy Graham says this. Jesus Christ, the word, is the embodiment of all truth. Not some truth, the truth. But unfortunately, people today are not accepting Jesus as truth. They look for another version of truth. Remember the postmodern society. Graham states to that, Jesus did not say, you shall know a truth or just any truth, but the truth. What was Graham referring to? Of course, John 14, 6, where Jesus says clearly and absolutely that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It was interesting to ponder truth. I mean, that's the question we're entertaining here right now, that what is true is we began to explain the difference between the postmodern society that believe in absolute truth and how we know absolute truth through Jesus and his word. But it's an interesting thing to begin to ponder and think about truth. Because the question about what is truth goes back, well, years and years, maybe thousands of years. I mean, we could say it goes all the way, at least, back to the days of Pilate. Now, you remember Pilate, right? Pilate, the guy who was the prefect, the prefect of Roman province in, the, in Judea in the 5th century. I mean, he had, you know, he was the time of the Roman emperor serving under the time of Tiberius. He was the guy that was the, the, the uh, prefect during the time of Jesus. When Jesus was being brought up on blasphemy charges, and they marched him to Pilate, the Pharisees did. Do you remember what unfolded the time when the Pharisees marched Jesus to Pilate? In John's Gospel in chapter 18, it records all the events that transpired and began to happen, especially when Pilate simply asked Jesus, first and foremost, if he was the king of the Jews. But it also records that Pilate Ask Jesus, what is truth? Can you imagine Pilate asking Jesus, what is truth? We know Jesus is the truth. So now listen, Pilate had the truth standing right in front of him and didn't even recognize the truth standing in front of him. He failed to see Jesus as the truth. So with that thought, it, it, it seems like maybe not has changed much in a couple thousand years. Because people still don't recognize Jesus as the truth and still ask the question, what is truth? They're still asking it. They're still pondering it. 
There's still tons of fine more than truth. So let's just end the worldly debate right now and simply state, what is truth? The truth is Jesus. Set the record straight. Let it be known truth is Jesus. Think about this. The truth and Jesus is synonymous. It's the basics, as we mentioned, of John 14, 6. Referred to earlier where Jesus says simply, I am the way, I am the truth. So what is truth? It's Jesus. Period. End of discussion. Let's go home. That's all we need. But then there's also more. Notice that also then that Paul was writing in reference to truth. He wrote to the church at Ephesus. He said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Note here, if you will, that Paul tells the Christians, the church, the believers at Ephesus that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Which means he is equating the truth as the good news, the gospel of your salvation, which allows us then to conclude this, that truth is this, the revelation of God that makes known the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's truth. The revelation of God that makes known the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. Postmodern society may not understand it. They may not get it, but we should make no mistake. The truth is the gospel. And the gospel is and centers around Jesus Christ. Which is why Jesus can state then, as he's speaking to this audience, in verse 32, it's why he can tell them, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The point is, to be free, you must pursue the truth, because the truth will set you free, and only Jesus can set you free. Truly, truly, truly set you free. But then again, that was our other phrase we wanted to define. What does it mean by being truly set free? So to explain, we go back to the text again, particularly verse 33. Verse 33 reminded us that the people, the believers, remember they had felt like they were free. Similar to how we can, especially today on the 4th of July, how we can feel that we're free. Because if we do, remember we live, I said repetitively now, we live in the greatest country in the world. We live in what is known by all others as a free country. And the Constitution and the Bill of Rights seemingly guarantees us some freedom or some liberties. I mean, five basic liberties that are found is this. We are the freedom to religion. We have the freedom to speech. We have the freedom to press. We have the freedom of assembly. We have the freedom to petition the government on their wrongs. And of course, that's just the beginning of what the Constitution spells out of our liberties and our freedom that we seemingly have in our country. But does that truly make us free? Does the Constitution truly make us free? I tell you, not necessarily. I mean, it's so easy to say, yes, 
but we got to reflect, we got to dig deeper. Much like the Jews in that day too easily said that they were free because they were the offspring of Abraham. We could say we're free because the Constitution tells us we can be free. But is that truly free? If not, then how do we become truly free? Which then is our second point. That you have to accept Jesus to be truly free. Truly set free. You have to accept Jesus to be truly set free. I mean, when you open up your heart to accept God's gift of grace that he offered this world through his son, when you accept that, you are truly free. Truly set free. Verse 36, if the son sets you free, by the sacrifice he made, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, as in truly free. If the Son sets you free, you'll be truly free indeed. Now, the comment from Piper says, to be fully free, we must have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what makes us happy forever. No regrets. And only Jesus, the Son of God, who died and rose for us, can make that possible. When Jesus sets you free, you are free, truly free indeed. And I think everybody wants to be truly free. I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't want their freedom? We all want to be truly free. So every person, if you will, that has ever lived, they may not tell you this, but every person who's ever lived has an innate desire to be set free. Fully and truly free. Everybody should have a desire. I think everybody has a desire to be set free. But the thing is, only Jesus Christ can do that. It isn't a piece of paper called the Constitution. Yeah, we again live in the greatest country. We have these freedoms that were given to us by this paper, but Jesus truly sets us free. Only Jesus Christ can truly set us free. That's why then, listen, that's why no matter where you are as a Christian, a person in a jail cell in North Korea who is by all means imprisoned, tortured, beaten, imprisoned, that's how they can still be free. In their life. They're not free by definition. But they can be free. Because they've accepted Jesus Christ. And only Jesus can set them free. They're truly free. Because they completely surrendered to Jesus. So despite their harsh treatment. Despite their conditions. Despite being in a jail cell. They're free and happy. Yeah, even in a prison cell. They're free and they're happy which then tells us to be free and happy forever. Our sins must be forgiven and God's wrath removed and Christ must be become our supreme treasure. Only Jesus can truly set us free. Everybody wants to be set free and only Jesus can do that. In fact, he's already done that. He died for our sins. 
he absorbed God's wrath. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus? Further, he rose from the dead. And he is therefore today supremely precious. And he offers us the freedom that we truly need. The whole text today that we apply on the day that the paper gave us our freedom, we see then that in order for us to be fully, truly free, and free indeed, the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, is the one who set us free. Yes, we are free. But it's not because of our liberties that we have from our Constitution. The reason that we are free is because Jesus Christ gave us our freedom. He is the truth. He's the one that guarantees us our freedom. Today, we are truly free because of Jesus. Father, Lord, this message today is quite simple. It reminds us of truth maybe that we already knew, just often maybe don't think about. But perhaps it's right and even maybe appropriate then on the day that we celebrate our country's birth, our country's freedom that's been given to us, that we think about how, well, your son is the one who set us free. He's the one that sets everyone free, no matter where they may be, and no matter what condition, no matter where they may live. And listen, they'd be grateful for that. Yeah, we should be grateful that we're living in this country that suggests we have freedom. But we know today, certainly through the text we examine, that Jesus truly sets us free. So today, let's reflect upon that and be grateful for that. To be forever thankful for that. Thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. Thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for taking the wrath of God upon yourself to give me my freedom. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.